your Bibles, your electronic devices on, whatever you need to do. All right, Paul Harvey, everybody know who he is? Even you youngsters know who Paul Harvey is? Probably the most famous radio personality of all time. He tells the story of a shop owner in Germany waking up one morning, looking out his windows, he looked through the curtains and immediately calling the police. Why? Because when he looked out, he saw that his car was vandalized. Someone had, someone had painted his car completely white. Gallons and gallons of paint, coats and coats of paint poured all over his car. He couldn't even see it. It was just a blanket of white. And he knew enough that he needed to call the police, and so he did. So the police arrived, and when they answered him and he told them what happened, they went out to expect the car. The police were shocked, too. But not because uh, of it being painted white. Because it wasn't painted white. It was snow. The shop owner was from Gambia. He had never, ever seen snow in his life. So when he saw it, he thought it was someone had painted his car. Okay, so here's what we're going to do. This morning, we're going to act like we're from Gambia. And we've gotten up this morning, and right now we're going to pull the curtains back in this text, and we're going to look out, and we're going to see something we've never seen before, and it's found in verse 3. More than that, we rejoice in our suffering. Have you ever seen that? Have you ever seen someone rejoice in their suffering? It could be one of the most rarest realities on the planet. It's incredibly rare, it's almost extinct. Hardly any of us have ever seen it. And it's absolutely baffling, isn't it? We don't even know what to do with it. How do you do that? And why would you ever do that? And who does that? Some spiritual psycho? A spiritual masochist? Or some super saint that lives in a stratosphere that you and I don't live in? Rejoicing in suffering is an unknown way to look at and live through suffering. Do you know why it's an unknown way? Because according to Paul in Romans 5, we are told that we naturally look at and live through suffering by our or based upon our performance. We could say it this way. Self-justification adds pain on top of sin or pain on top of our suffering making it absolutely impossible to rejoice in your suffering but a Jesus justification overrides overmasters suffering with joy making it possible to rejoice in suffering please stand for the hearing of God's word Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. 
More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we were reconciled shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Word of the Lord. Please be seated. Oh God, we ask that you would shine on the page. We ask that you would fill us with your spirit. We ask that you would make clear to our minds and real to our hearts the reality of this passage. Would you, Jesus, show up? And would you show up in such a way that it produces change on the spot? And we ask this in your name. Amen. Okay, y'all, this is part two to the big idea of Romans 1, 5 through 11. You remember what the big idea is? We saw it last week. Justification makes a difference in your life. That's the big idea of this whole passage. Part one, last week we saw that it makes a difference in such a way that it gives us peace with God, verse one. It gives us warm friendship with God, verse two. It gives us deep feelings for God, verse two. Now look at verse three. Find the more than that. More than that. It's continuing. Continuing the implications of justification. We rejoice, in other words, feel God deeply in our sufferings. Justification makes a difference by giving us a new way to look at and live through suffering. We can now rejoice in suffering. John Piper, famous pastor, theologian, author, speaker, says, people are not prepared or able to rejoice in suffering unless they experience a massive biblical revolution of how they think and feel about the meaning of life. Did you catch that? The only way that we are actually going to experience a rejoicing and suffering is that the meaning of life that we conceive it to be completely reforms, shapes, and revolutionizes us. He goes on to say, human nature and the American culture make it impossible to rejoice in suffering. So how does justification revolutionize suffering in such a way that we now rejoice in it? You know how? The answer, the first answer? It ends suffering by works. Look at, the, look at verse 3. Notice what's not being said. It says rejoice in our suffering. It's not saying rejoice for our suffering. Why would we not rejoice for our suffering? Because that's stupid. There's no rejoicing for pain for the pain of death. You don't rejoice for the pain of death. You mourn it. You hate it. Death is an enemy. There's no rejoicing for the pain of evil done to others. You get angry at it. You cry out for justice for it. 
you feel deep compassion for those who experience it. There's no rejoicing for the pain of depression or divorce. You feel deep pain because of it. You feel deep, incredible loss because of it. You know you need help to get through it. Those are the proper responses for it. The Bible never tells us to rejoice for suffering. It tells us to rejoice in our suffering. But we still do it, don't we? Many times we rejoice for our suffering. When? Well, when we need to feel punished. There are times when you and I have this need to beat ourselves up. We have this need to feel bad about ourselves, to accuse ourselves, judge ourselves, and even let others in on the party because we're trying to deal with our feelings of guilt. We're trying to deal with a feeling of deep shame and a failure in our life, and we don't know what to do with it, so we feel this need to atone for it ourselves punish ourselves that's rejoicing for suffering we rejoice for suffering when we boast in our hard life you ever done this you have a hard life and all of a sudden you feel superior to everybody else right you have a hard life you go through something hard and now you're better because you did it and now you look at everybody else as if they're superficial and shallow people And all of a sudden, the hard life becomes more righteous. A hard life becomes more worthy. If you experience a hard life, when you go through hard things, you feel more justified. And an easy life is less righteous and less worthy and less justified. We rejoice for our suffering. We rejoice for our suffering when we boast in our hard life before God. All of a sudden, we start using God or using a hard life to control God. It's as if God owes us his favor and his blessing now. We've earned it. He's got to give me favor and he's got to give me blessing because I deserve it. I've had a hard life. Whenever we rejoice for our suffering instead of in our suffering, we are trying to justify ourselves by our suffering. Suffering by works. And a Jesus justification ends suffering by works and gives a suffering by grace. And it revolutionizes suffering. So let's look at it. How does justification revolutionize suffering so we rejoice in it? It begins suffering by grace. Verse 3. We rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces. Notice. The word produce, it means to bring about something, to accomplish something, to achieve something, to create something, to make something. Because of justification, verse 1, remember, these are all implications of justification. This is what justification does. Justification makes a difference. The grace of God does stuff to us. Because of justification, suffering now produces deep change in your life. God takes suffering and he overrides it and he overmasters it to change our life. God, the creator, 
sits on the sea and he hovers over the chaos of your life and he overrides it and he overmasters it and he works deep change into your life. This means whenever we suffer and whenever pain comes into our life, verse three says we can know something. We can know and we can say to ourselves with all honesty and with all sense of a flicker or a flame or a pilot light of joy. God is taking me places I've never been before with him. When suffering comes into your life and pain comes like a freight train, you still, according to this passage, can know that God is taking you to new lands, new territories, new wonders, new worlds. You can know that God is at work in your life. You can know that he has reasons for the pain. We've said it before, we're saying again, if you haven't heard it before, I hope it helps. We all have, you know this, right? You know that right now you have in your life unevangelized areas. You have unreached areas. You have 1040 windows in your life that need to be reached by the gospel. That the grace of God needs to go to those unreached areas. The justification needs to make a difference in those areas. Deep change needs to happen in those areas. We might not know all of God's reasons for why suffering and pain comes in our life. And you know what? We might not know two reasons ever in this life. But this passage says we know one. God wants you to know one. He is overriding it, overmastering it to change your life. And the change is breathtaking. And the change is incredible. And the change is heroic. You look at the change and it makes you want it. Even, even if you have to have pain to get it. And I think if we were to interview everyone that's gone through pain and suffering, they would never say they liked it. They would never rejoice for it. But I think they would all say, I thank God for it. For what God has done in my life. I once saw him or heard about him. And now I know him. Suffering produces endurance. You see that? Endurance becomes real to us. Endurance is not suck it up. That's how I look at endurance. (laughs) I look at endurance and I say, hey man, just suck it up. Come on. Endurance is not suck it up. Endurance is God-like. Endurance. Endurance is part of the character of God. It's who God is. It's the wonder of his character. Endurance is the capacity to continue. To continue To continue, God, through suffering, 
carves into your soul endurance and it looks like him. Some of you are desperately trying to escape or flee your suffering and your pain right now. And others of you are desperately trying to fight your pain right now. Figure it out, fix it, control it, change it, right? Please hear me. Both responses are understandable. But please hear me. They both can't deal with pain and suffering. They're doomed strategies. They can't do it. God's strategy? Continue. God's strategy? Endurance. God's strategy is to take you to his training center where all you can do sometimes in pain and suffering is endure and he loves it. You think, I don't know, I can't get out of this. I can't fight this. I can't figure it out. I can't control it. I can't manage it. What's going on? God says, endure it. You don't have to do anything but endure it. Because sometimes that's all you can do. And God loves that. Suffering is a place where you actually begin to listen to God and you actually begin to learn from God. It's a place where you wait on God while he works in your life. You continue while he works. You're confused while he works. You have no idea what's going on while he works. You wish you weren't there while he works. You can't stand the pain while he works. Endurance. Endurance produces character. You see that? That's what comes next. God becomes real to you. Now, character here, it's very important that we understand this. The character that's being talked about here is not the character you currently possess. It's new character. It's character you don't have. So when we come to this passage, we come to suffering, we tend to think, oh, man, I, I'm not doing well. Uh-huh. Because the suffering, if it was a pass or fail test, if it was a test of your character, pass or fail, you fail every time. Because the suffering is designed to produce endurance, and in the school of endurance, you actually begin to produce and grow new character. A changing life starts happening. Never forget that uh, Keller, when he was planning his church in New York, he wrote this, this manual for pastors, for church planners. And in it, he shared his own story of planting the church just from a pastor's side. It's so encouraging for pastors. It's great. Uh, but in it, he said something that I almost like dropped it when I read it, and I had to pick myself up. He said, when I got to New York and started planting the church, I realized I didn't have the spiritual character to do it. I didn't have the character necessary to plant this church. I needed new character. That's what's being talked about here. It's a tested character. Hal Dean, he's the Roman scholar that uh, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones used when he went through his 11 or 13 years of preaching through Romans, which we are not doing, but he did, right? 
how Dean said that the character in the word is tested character, but embedded in the word is a word called experience. And what he's saying is that you actually begin to experience God, and when you experience God, your character changes. You change. Suffering produces this endurance. It creates it. It achieves it. This endurance, this school of of learning and listening from God, you actually begin to experience God and your character starts changing. Going new places with God changes you. Enduring new places with God changes you. Endurance is a place for change. Character change. Your being changes. Tested character produces hope. You see that? Hope becomes real to you. As you go new places with God, as God becomes more real to you, guess what happens to your hope? You have more hope. Remember what Piper said? He said, people are not prepared or able to rejoice in suffering unless they experience a massive biblical revolution of how they think and feel about the meaning in life. Here's the meaning in life. Knowing God. Knowing God's Love, experiencing God's acceptance, having justification get pushed into your mind and your heart in such a way that it is now clear to your mind and real to your heart. You start experiencing what we've already looked at, warm friendship with God, peace with God, and you get meaning in life. And there is no meaning in life outside of that. Endurance, tested or new character, hope. This is suffering by grace. This will make us want to rejoice in our suffering. But notice I left one out. Do you see it? Look at the text. There's one change left, and it's the engine of it all. It's the power of it all, even of justification, and we haven't mentioned yet. It is the meaning of life. Verse 5. Hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. This is the very first time that God's love is mentioned in Romans. And you know what I'd like to do? I I wish we did. I, I wish we had this like banner. And I'd walk up and I'd go, boom, to market. The first time the love of God is mentioned in Romans. Here's the flag. Mark it for the rest of your life. Notice God's love is poured into our hearts to replace the shame in our hearts. Do you see that? Shame is a big deal. Shame is diminishment. Shame is you being diminished to such an extent till there's no more of you left and you are a non-being. That is what shame does if it's left unchecked. And when you have a non-being, your self has no meaning. Your self has no life. The meaning of life is lost. And the opposite of shame is justification. Gaining self, gaining righteousness, gaining meaning, gaining worth. 
Notice God's love is poured or flooded. That's a really interesting word. The poured actually means flooded. That's the original language. God's love is flooded into your heart by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's not sprinkled into your heart. Do you see that? God's not stingy. God's not holding back. God is unleashing the floodgates that he wants you to experience a flood, tsunami, wave of his love. To roll and flood into every area of your life. He wants you to feel this deeply. And notice God's love is flooded into our hearts at the most unexpected time. Did you see that? When does this all happen? When you suffer. When you're in pain. How does justification revolutionize suffering so we rejoice in it? First, it ends suffering by works. Do not rejoice for suffering. Second, it begins suffering by grace. Rejoice in your suffering because God is overriding and overmastering suffering to do deep change in your life. And third, it makes God's love more real to you and me. God's love comes in like a flood. Now look at verse 6. Do you find the four? Remember, God's in the grammar. See that four? Four is going to give us the basis, the grounds, the reason for the love of God being flooded in your life. If the love of God in verse 5 is functional, it's experiential, it's the real subjective reality of you knowing and feeling deeply the love of God to such an extent that you rejoice in it. Verse 5, verse 6, verse 7, verse 8 are giving you the grounds of that love, an objective historical reality in the person and work of Jesus. In other words, here is the love of God in reality. There, whether you, re- whether you feel it or not, what's the love of God? It's a historical intrusion in the person of Jesus Christ. What's the love of God? It is a, it is a breaking in of God and the Son of God and dying on a cross and living a perfect life and rising from the dead. That's the love of God. And it's based on that that the Holy Spirit makes that flood into your heart. So here's an interesting thing. If you want to experience verse 5, you've got to know verse 6, 7, 8, and 9. In other words, how do I get the love of God? How does, how does the floodgates open up? By doctrine and theology. As you start getting clear to your mind the objective work of Jesus and what he's done for you, the floodgates start opening because the Holy Spirit takes the historical objective reality of God's love in Jesus and now floods it into your heart by the power of his spirit. Jesus' work, now the Holy Spirit's work. So there is no dry doctrine, really. Doctrine's not dead. Theology's on fire. Or flood. Pick your metaphor. Do you see the while in both of the passages though? Verse 6. For while we were still weak. Catch that? At the right time Christ died for the ungodly. See verse 8. Continuing the 4 verse 7. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners. Got it? Do you see the whiles? Okay, Richard Rohr in a book called Breathing Underwater says, this is the way that God seduces all of us into the economy of grace. How? By loving us in spite of ourselves in the very places where we cannot or will not or dare not love ourselves. God shocks and stuns us into love. God does not love us if we change. God loves us so we can change. 
It's not sin, punishment, change. God's love. Sin, God's love. That's why we change. Is that your view of God? Is that your view of when you're sinned against? Is that how you raise your children? Do you raise your children with faults and imperfections and flaws with punishment to get them to change? Fear to get them to change? The gospel says, if you're going to change, sin, love, 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 change. So, while you're mean, God loves you. While you're depressed, God loves you. While you're lusting, God loves you. While you're addicted, God loves you. While you need to change, God loves you. Breathe that underwater. 